The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And we're thrilled to have you here on the AI Today podcast as we're rapidly heading towards our 200th episode in almost four years here. And we really, you know, had some fantastic interviews and some really great highlights as we take a look at how AI is maturing. And it certainly has matured. As a matter of fact, if you go back and listen to some of our episodes from the early days when we talk about, you know, uh, should I be scared of AI? And we've had some interviews with folks like Colin Angle from iRobot and, uh, you know, even the, you know, Ben Gertzel uh, with Sophia Robot and lots of others, you know, from implementers at, at corporations you know, from healthcare to finance to, to retail, as well as many government uh, establishments, both in the federal, U.S. federal, international, state, and local. And, you know, over those past four years, we've gotten some really good insights into where AI is and where it's heading. And on today's podcast, you know, I think we can get some really interesting insights from those working on the front lines of making AI work, and especially even aspects of automation, which, you know, parts of, of which are relevant to AI, especially as we try to automate some of the things that humans do, you know, our decision-making, our cognitive abilities. But there's certainly a lot of automation that's just basically taking the, as they say, taking the robot out of the human. <laughs> and and that's a really good value uh, for all that. So we are really thrilled to have here uh, as our guest for this episode, our uh, James Spencer, who is Solutions Engineer Manager at Blue Prism. So hi, James. Thank you so much for joining us on AI Today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us, James. We'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and your current role at Blue Prism. Sure thing. So my name is James Spencer. Um, I have been at Blue Prism for uh, coming on four years now. Um, I manage a solutions engineering team uh, with a specific focus on our public sector uh, customer base. So that includes a mixture of uh, federal government customers and also state, local, and educational customers. Um, my background, actually, believe it or not, is in the life sciences. I, I uh, used to be a, a research scientist and uh, found my way into the data and analytics software space uh, many years back. Well, that's great. Well, that's a great introduction and sort of brings us here. Well, may maybe tell us a little bit about, about how you got into Blue Prism, maybe a little bit about sort of what you're doing there and some of the projects. And we have some more questions for you to sort of dig into the experiences there. But maybe maybe sort of bring us into kind of how you left life sciences and came into this role to process automation and RPA and kind of where you see AI. Sure, absolutely. So, uh, interestingly enough, what uh, what led me away from the life sciences was was the realization that uh, I didn't want to get um, a PhD, and so that caused a bit of a, a sea change in my life. Trying to decide, well, what what do I do with my life now? Because without that advanced degree, you're you're fairly limited in the research space. Uh, and that's when I came to realize that everything that I had been already doing in the research realm um, around data analysis and and using statistics to identify trends and patterns in my data also apply 
applies within the realm of data science. So that was um, what I think led me to, to consider a, a career elsewhere. Um, so how I ended up at, at Blue Prism was a, a bit of a, um, an interesting story. So previously, I was working at a, a very interesting, innovative data analytics startup, which was using um, a combination of the mathematics of topology that actually described the shape of data. Uh, it was very interesting in, in helping us understand how we could actually analyze very large, multidimensional data sets and compress those down into um, more simplified ways of analyzing data. And what I realized when I was working at that organization was that uh, a lot of companies didn't really have the infrastructure or, or the, the frameworks in place needed to really um, make use of artificial intelligence. So they may have had point solutions, but they didn't really have a great way to actually implement those AI tools uh, within their, their corporate infrastructure. So for instance, let's say you're a, a bank who is generating um, potential fraud identification Um there may not necessarily be a really easy way to actually then action upon uh, the outputs of your, your fraud detection engines. And so that's actually what really got me interested in, in robotic process automation and specifically with Blue Prism, because if you think about AI as being the computer's brain and, and doing the thinking, um, it's actually a solution like an RPA platform like Blue Prism that's kind of the arms and legs. That's what actually enables you to then take actions based on, on those outputs. So that's what really uh, attracted me here. So in, in, in my current role as a as a solutions engineer manager, actually, I work very closely with our sales teams um, and essentially their, their technical counterpart. So when we have our sales teams go in and talk to customers and help them understand what our platform does and what our license model looks like, um, oftentimes our customers want to understand the, the underlying technology behind it. How is it that this works? What does the architecture look like? What are the various security controls in place to ensure um, that there, there is uh, auditability uh, behind the platform? And so that's really where I come into play to help the customers understand what are those technical underpinnings. Well, that, that's really great insight. I, and I, and I kind of, it's an interesting analogy, you know, the uh, process automation, RPAs, arms and legs of, of AI, because it actually does relate to, you want to think of, ro when people think of robots, they think of physical robots, which are literally arms many times, robotic arms, sometimes legs, but mostly arms. And, you know, if you think about sort of the traditional robot, the traditional uh, thing that's happening in industrial automation or even those things roaming the hallways and hospitals or wherever, you know, they, they have sort of limited intelligence, right? But, but they're, they're not there they're to be necessarily – intelligence is sort of the secondary goal. The first goal is let's automate this thing because – if we didn't have industrial automation, people would be, you know, there with welders and they'd be welding stuff or they'd be walking the hallways with with drugs or whatever they're doing. And so um, so that's the, the primary goal of RPA as well is to sort of automate some of these activities. But there, it's for it definitely fills a role as, you know, people want those bots, and those machines to be more intelligent. So maybe you could talk a little bit about this. And this is something that we spent a little bit of time uh, at our machine learning lifecycle conference, by the way, which Blue Prism was a sponsor and they participated in a number of panels. And uh, you, can you can go back and you can watch these sessions at mllifecycleconf.com. And you can also see many of the other um, events that we are, are running here in communities. Blue Prism is also a sponsor of our AI and government community. You just heard a little mention about public sector. But anyway, enough about me. Uh, <laughs> James, why don't you tell us a little bit about what role RPA has to move companies up this ladder of intelligent automation? 
Absolutely. That's a really great question. And, and so actually, I think you made a, an interesting point earlier on when you when you talked about uh, RPA as a, as a method for taking the, the robot out of the human. Um, and even the term itself, robotic process automation, as you described, really does conjure this image of industrial automation with, with physical robots. And I think that sort of harkens back to, to, the, to the nascent days of, of robotic process automation in the early 2000s. This was a very new technology. Um, and back then, it really was focused primarily on automation of Workflows, and there really wasn't any sort of uh, intelligence to it. It was it was more um, it, it had no deterministic to it. Or sorry, it was deterministic. It had no probabilistic elements to it. And so a process was built, and then the the blue prism digital worker would essentially follow that process from start to finish precisely as instructed. So what we're seeing now, now that RPA is coming into its own, I think it's actually a little bit more accurate to think about this as intelligent process automation, uh, because this is now when we can start layering in those modern technologies, we can bring in artificial intelligence to actually make the digital workforce more intelligent and make it uh, a little bit closer to, to what the human workforce can do. Um, of course, software robots are never going to be, or at least in the near future, are not going to be uh, analogous to humans. But there are certain things that humans do very well that, that computers don't do terribly well, such as some of that pattern matching or some of the identification of what is it that I'm looking at in terms of an image. Um, and that's something that, that uh, software has not really done so great with. So enter AI, this is a really great way then to upskill that digital workforce and to actually expand the possible realm of, of different workflows and different use cases. So I think is a really great example. Um, if we if we think about uh, uh, computer vision, that's something that has had uh, a tremendous amount of growth in the last couple of years. But it's something that really hasn't made it uh, in, a, in a large way into the commercial sector. And I think part of that is because it's a fairly large technical hurdle to get over that. I mean, historically, it's been the sort of thing where you need to, to be someone like a data scientist or an engineer, someone who actually has that heavy uh, uh, technical chops background that you know how to write code. So that way you can do things like write out uh, a JSON script and you can actually interact with a REST API. And that enables you to take uh, an image, let's say it's, it's a picture of a cat, right? The typical internet meme. Um, and you can break it down into uh, something that is actually understood and, and recognizable by a computer which is going to be very different from the way a human interprets it. So that's something that that just unfortunately by the by the nature of the technical details really limits that audience. So enter a solution like Blue Prism. And in this case, we actually have the way then to merge in some of that very heavy hitting artificial intelligence like image recognition and add that to um, our, our particular platform. And so in this case, what's nice about that is that, uh, is that the, the actual interaction itself with those uh, AI solutions are actually pre-built. So Blue Prism, for example, is a completely code-free platform. Everything is is uh, created through drag and drop technology, almost like uh, if you've ever built a flowchart in, in diagramming software, it's just literally choosing an item from a palette, dragging and dropping it on, onto the screen. And process creation in Blue Prism is the same way. And so by taking that same approach then to, to artificial intelligence and having a number of pre-built artificial intelligence assets, it's a very easy way to actually connect those into a process uh, and again, upskill it such that, uh, let's use an example of, let's say you're an insurance adjuster and you wanted to automate the, the claims adjudication process. Well, historically, that's something that involves a claims adjuster going out if you have an auto accident and, and uh, taking photographs of your, your the damage to your car and maybe the damage to any property. Uh, and then that has to go back to, to someone at the main office and they've got to go through and understand what are they looking at. 
Well, wouldn't it be great if we could actually layer in the artificial intelligence perspective of that and actually have uh, a brain, if you will, that enables Blue Prism to, first of all, receive the files and all the details behind the claim. But then in addition to doing the automated part of just the general workflow of, of entering the, the claimant's name and address and all of the other information into the various different uh, uh, target systems of the, of the insurance company, wouldn't it be great then if Blue Prism could also take a look at those images that the, the field adjuster uploads? and automatically identify, yep, I can recognize that this is a certain make and model of car and that the damage uh, appears to be very minimal or, or perhaps very major and actually do a lot of that work that then tees up the next steps that maybe have to have a human involved in it. So that's just kind of one simple example. But if you if you think about uh, the potential with AI, it really is this, uh, an example of the sky's the limit. And it's just kind of limited by, by what your imagination might be. Um, maybe it is looking at... Uh, excuse me, uh, uh, radiology images from, from healthcare settings and helping physicians with, with diagnoses. Maybe it is determining what is the optimal way to sequence a process because we humans do processes a certain way, but a computer may do it a little bit differently. And if that computer has the intelligence to look at what are all the different steps of the process, how uh, long does each step take to complete, um, what are the outcomes of those different steps? The computer may be able to find uh, an optimized approach that the humans never thought of to say, hey, there's a way that we can actually gain efficiency. Maybe this is going to be 25% faster. Maybe it's going to be 30% faster. Um, and, and really, those uh, those benefits multiplied by, say, tens of thousands of work items that you have to process, that, that very quickly um, uh, turns into to very real-world results in terms of money saved, in terms of our return, hours returned to the business. So there, there really are a lot of really great uh, opportunities with um, layering in artificial intelligence into to business process automation. Yeah, that's great. You know, I know that RPA has gotten a lot of attention recently because it's it's helped during the pandemic to, you know, with a variety of different things across a variety of different sectors as well. So, you know, from your observations, how important has RPA become since the pandemic dramatically changed the way people work? And maybe can you share with us some of the most interesting use cases that you've seen so far with the adoption of RPA that can be either pandemic or non-pandemic related use cases? Absolutely. And so you definitely raise a really good point vis-a-vis the, the pandemic. Um, I think what a, what a lot of organizations really struggled with in those early days was trying to figure out how they could move very quickly from the traditional office-based workforce to a distributed home-based workforce that still had the same level of productivity and that was still able to do the same things they would do in the office. Um, and that became very tricky because a lot of organizations still rely on, on fairly antiquated technologies. Um, I, I, for one, was quite surprised by how many banks still make use of uh, pretty ancient mainframe systems. Um, and uh, unfortunately, those mainframe systems don't really play well with modern technologies. They were engineered back in the 60s and 70s and, and sometimes even in the 80s. And they don't have those modern interfaces that, that a lot of our, our current technology has. They don't have APIs that enable the mainframe to communicate with other uh, applications. And so as a result, um, a lot of these organizations really struggled with figuring out how is it that we could have our workforce uh, be able to, to execute this work when they're not physically present in the office. And so enter a solution like, like Blue Prism that actually does provide that orchestration layer that enables you to actually integrate myriad disparate data sets, different uh, target applications, et cetera. Um, and at least from the end user perspective for that 
integration to be quite seamless because on the back end, Blue Prism is handling all those details. So one of the most interesting examples, I think, from uh, a COVID perspective um, comes actually from our, our neighbors to the north and the, and the Canadian federal government. Um, so when, when the pandemic uh, first hit, the Canadian government implemented uh, some pretty sweeping changes in terms of repayment terms for things like credit card debt, loans, mortgages, et cetera, um, and essentially halted or froze a lot of those payments. So that way people who um, were, were struggling with, with being laid off or having reduced hours from work wouldn't find themselves in a position of still having to pay uh, fairly expensive bills. And so on the face of it, it seems like a great idea. It seems very simple. It helps a lot of people. But if you think about what goes into that from the banking perspective, there's actually quite a lot of uh, rework that has to be done on the back end. And so a lot of the banks were scrambling to figure out how is it that we can implement these changes without all of our existing automated approaches, like sending out late notices and, and warnings to tell people that they're about to fall behind on a payment. Um, how can we we kind of set those aside? And so that is where Blue Prism was really able to shine to work with these big banks to actually help them very quickly implement these, these pretty uh, uh, earth-shattering changes to, to their approach. So I think that was a really great, um, really great example of how that might work. Um, but really, even, even beyond that, just this, again, the simplicity of, of, of letting home, a home-based workforce connect with uh, their, their office um, applications back uh, at their desk, which they may not have access to. Uh, actually, call centers are another great example. If we think about the fact that uh, none of us are, are spending as much time as we used to at brick-and-mortar retailers, well, a lot of us then are moving to buying things online, and, and problems invariably happen, whether it's a slowdown in shipping, whether it's getting the wrong item, whether it's the package going missing in shipment uh, or, or the item breaking in transit, whatever that might be, we then need to get in touch with uh, that particular reseller. Or um, in the case of travel, a lot of travel plans were disrupted. And so a lot of people were calling the airlines to say, I'm not comfortable traveling. I'd like to cancel my reservation. And, and I also would like a refund, please. Well, in this case, again, this was a big challenge because a lot of these organizations that have um, centralized call centers no longer had armies of people inside the buildings to manage the phones. And so they had to think about how can we make this work when we have a workforce sitting at home in their home office or in their living room or at their kitchen table, wherever it might be. And so, again, enter Blue Prism to provide that layer so that way, from the end user perspective, it looks like they're still interacting with their systems as they would normally, albeit maybe from a laptop sitting on their, on their table. But again, on the back end, Blue Prism is able to to actually take the information, uh, connect to those various different target systems, no matter whether they're a modern system with a, a nice, clean, handy API, or whether they're a, a clunky old mainframe or, or anything in between, um, collect the data that needs to be collected, report that back to the call center agent, and then conversely, do the reverse of taking any updates that the call center agent sends into the system and updating those target systems. So I think those are a couple great examples of, of how we were able to assist um, organizations work around the the challenges with with the pandemic. Yeah, and I think I think it's there's a lot of challenges right with rela regards to the pandemic. It's not just that you know you have people who are have been impacted their lives, uh, but of course just the way that we work, the way that we interact, you know the the remote, the work from home experiences may actually end up uh, surviving a lot longer than than this pandemic, right? And you've already heard many companies are are saying, look, we're just going to get rid of our offices altogether. We don't need them. We realize that we can function in a completely virtual way. Um, and, you know, lots of other things, you know, impacts of people saying, hey, maybe this is actually a preferred way to, to work. And that, of course, changes the way we deal with 
documents, you know, in particular, you know, rooms full of filing cabinets and paper don't work very well in a remote work from home environment. And you have, you know, many other things where you have approvals or systems that you would need access to. And that's, of course, you know, I think as part of the reason that's accelerating this adoption of process automation is the reality of the fact that processes don't have borders. They don't sit in, in, in cubicles. And therefore, you know, you know, we can, we can automate them in interesting ways. So let's talk a little about the future. You know, we're, we're looking at maybe, maybe look, let's look at a, a year or two or three or 10 or however far you can look out. Um, and think about, you know, where is this process automation heading? And you know, how is AI changing process automation? That's a really great question. So I think we were already starting to see glimpses of the future of work even before the pandemic, at least from, from the RPA perspective. Um, and, and that was just by virtue of companies moving beyond the, the, the what's, what we might call the low-hanging fruit. I think every organization has kind of those mundane, fundamental back office business processes they have to do, like account reconciliation or invoice processing. And without a doubt, those are critical to the function of, of a business. Um, those were the very earliest uh, common use cases within, within RPA, uh, just because, again, they were very repetitive. They were very rules-based. They required a lot of human hours to do. And that was where we saw most of the work happening. But as you alluded to earlier, once we saw, saw things like the implementation of artificial intelligence, we suddenly start to see that maybe there are some other opportunities to, to actually improve that work so much more. So I think, first of all, you're absolutely right that a lot of the, the lessons that companies have learned in terms of having a more rem remote workforce and adapting the way they need to do business uh, in the pandemic era, um, those are, are going to stick, some of those practices, because it turns out they, they work a little bit better. Um, actually, I think a really great example is, is my sister. She just bought a new car uh, probably about two weeks ago, and um, she found that trying to register that car uh, in her home state was, was actually very difficult because... Um, normally, you would need to present the details uh, in person at the at the local DMV office, and they've got to go through and look at the bill of sale and, and the title and everything else, uh, and enter that into their systems. Well, with with those DMV offices being closed or or being limited in their hours, um, that becomes a lot more difficult to do. And and then you have to think about well, could we have people? Um, send in hard copies of their documents. Well, we certainly could, but what happens if those get lost in the mail or they're part of, uh, of a slowdown and they don't show up until four weeks later? And in the meanwhile, you're stuck with a car that you can't legally drive on the streets. So I think that is a great example of, of a new opportunity to say, hey, let's try to then implement some sort of solution that lets us do uh, some of this processing over the internet. Maybe we can take a photograph with our smartphone or if we have a scanner on our desk and actually scan these documents and then send those for processing. I think that that's just uh, one small example of how the future of, of work might change. Um, I think actually another great area where we saw uh, some really interesting um, uh, changes to, to just the traditional way of doing work, also again pre-COVID, pre uh, came down to the manufacturing sector. We, we actually had a, an aerospace customer who found that using Blue Prism on their production line was actually really um, very beneficial because in this case, when they have uh, welders who are doing things like assembling various different components for, for aircraft or for other equipment, um, the problem is, is those welders have to stop periodically, not only to inspect their welds, but then to also update their production logs. They need to annotate details like um, this weld is complete or this weld looks like it needs to be redone because maybe there uh, was incomplete uh, adherence, whatever that might be. Well, um, what this particular manufacturer found was that once they made use of speech-to-text technology, which is a, a great example of AI, and in co combination with Blue Prism, they were able to actually fit each welder's helmet 
with a microphone. And the idea is that welder can then verbally cue up the notes they want to have transcribed. And then that speech to text system recognizes the speech turns it into text, sends the text off to Blue Prism, and then Blue Prism takes that text and then puts it into whatever uh, record-keeping system that it needs to, whether it's a, a production log or or whatever else it might be. So a really great way to, to actually improve the speed with which items are, are uh, created on the manufacturing line and reducing the amount of stop-and-go actions that the production workers have to take. The other benefit there, though, that even beyond just making that, that uh, log annotation task simpler, um, it also then enables the company to do more granular analytics on their production process as well to, to recognize, oh, okay, we've got this particular item that is going faster through the production chain than we thought. So now we need to actually queue up the supplies for the next steps faster than we thought. So that way we don't have this item arriving on the next phase of the production line and the, and the parts not being there. Or conversely, maybe it's taking a little bit longer because there were some, some additional items that uh, we didn't take into account. Let's actually slow things down and maybe we can let another prototype or another unit that's being manufactured jump ahead in the queue. So uh, those are, I think, some nice examples of how uh, uh, the future of work can really be updated, making use of artificial intelligence, making use of robotic process automation, and ensuring that that workforces are more efficient. There's less stress on uh, the actual human employees who are doing this work day in and day out, but also in, in ways that benefit uh, the overall organization, which is great for the shareholders. It's great for the employees. It's great for the customers because it generally means lower costs, less delays, less errors, et cetera. I've enjoyed all your examples. I think it's always important to kind of, you know, say something, but then show how it's being done so that people from a wide range of industries can say, oh, okay, I can see this for my industry or, well, this is a similar use case. And I think that I could apply it in my industry. So I always love to hear about use cases and kind of following up on that one, because that was about the future of process automation. Um, But we always ask this question to our guests because we get such a wide variety of responses. And, you know, no matter how many people we interview, we always get a unique perspective on it. And so we always like to ask, this is a little bit more about the future of AI in general, um, as compared to process automation's future. So as a final note, what do you believe the future of AI is in general and its application to organizations and beyond? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. I I think AI has shown so much advancement in, in the last few years um, but at the same time, the the speed of growth and the new technologies that have have become um, apparent have also, I think, revealed just how much further we have to go. So, even with the the solutions that are out there now, whether it's a speech to text solution or whether it's a, a an image recognition algorithm or whatever it might be. Um, on one hand, they're very interesting. They're, they're quite neat because we've never had anything like that before. And it really is kind of the getting into the realm of Star Trek, where you could speak to your computer and your computer can talk back to you and, and whatnot. But at the same time, if we think about it in the grand scheme of things, those are actually fairly rudimentary. And we're finding now that there are so many other elements, whether it's um, people starting to think about whether or not there are underlying biases in, in predictive algorithms, or how is it that we can improve 
uh, solutions to enable that full, uh, excuse me, true full self-driving in vehicles. Um, we know that that cars can assist their owners with things like parking, and they can take uh, control of the wheel for short stints at a time. But it's not at all like what you might see in in future movies, whether it's Gattaca or or iRobot or any of those other ones, where where the cars are truly fully autonomous. So I think there's really a lot of development that comes into first of all expanding the existing set of artificial intelligence technologies, but just as importantly, also refining them to ensure that they're better, to ensure that um, we we have these solutions that that are are built with extra resilience in there uh, and don't n- maybe take those um, detours that we don't expect them to do with with sometimes surprising results. Well, that's excellent. And, uh, you know, sometimes we want good surprising results. Sometimes we don't want uh, the bad ones. So <laughs> actually, we never want the bad ones. We always want the good ones. So surprising results, we want to see them surprisingly good. So um, I, you know, really wanted to uh, really thank you. You've provided a lot of great insight here. I mean, people have been, you know, seeing the term, maybe they're very familiar with robotic process automation, process automation, RPA, but maybe they're not. And, um, you know, I think this is a good way of understanding. This podcast is a really good way of clarifying clarifying some of these concepts and also clarifying just in general how AI both contributes to advancing robotic process automation and how RPA itself is helping to accelerate the adoption of AI. So it's really kind of nice. And, you know, again, for those who are interested in, in hearing more from Blue Prism on this topic, you could definitely check out some of the sessions we had at our Machine Learning Lifecycle Conference. That was back in January of 2021, uh, but is accessible for, for months. We keep these uh, events up for a while. You know, there's lots of great sessions. Sometimes people can make them live. Sometimes they can't. So it's never good to keep it closed. You know, we want the we want our community active. They're always free to attend. We always keep our online events free to attend. And also, as mentioned, you know, our friends from Blue Prism have been very involved in our AI and government community. And we encourage you to check out what we've been uh, doing there. I know we definitely bring in some of our featured experts and some of our featured guests from AI and government here on the AI Today podcast. So, uh, you know, go ahead, check those out. And you can also go to just to events.cognolytica.com. Um, and you could check out all of our communities, the AI and government, the data for AI community, machine learning lifecycle community, and more. But um, really, I think this has been fantastic. James, you've shared some really great insights. Uh, we really, you really were on a roll. And I just wanted to thank you so much for, for participating here on AI Today podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed this. Um, And listeners, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. As always, we'll post any articles and concepts discussed in the show notes, as well as a link to the Machine Learning Lifecycle Conference and the community as well. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, Subscribe to our newsletter and more. Please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group and make sure to join the Cognolitica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. <laughs>